Hi, everyone. Hey, it's good to be with you. <laughs> if you don't know me, if we haven't met before, then my name is Beth, spoiler alert. And when I'm not here on a Sunday, you can often find me making coffee for people I don't know. I'm a barista, that's my day job. And um, one thing that I really love about my job is that I get this cool insight into lots of different people's lives. Um, I get to make them coffee like on their way to work. People come in and they have their first date together and I get to see how that goes. <laughs> Recently, I had this really cool thing where I made coffee for this regular that came in on his way to the hospital for the birth of his twins. That was really fun. Um, it's really cool. I love being part of people's days in big ways and small ways. But I think it's kind of funny because I think you could describe my job as being a bit like being the side character in lots of people's lives. <laughs> And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but like in all of those scenarios I just listed, I'm not the main character, I'm the side character, right? Like that guy when he tells the story of his legendary wife, Andrea, giving birth to their twins, and she had to be induced four times, by the way. Whew. He's not gonna mention the fact that I just also was there making him a, it, well, he has a vanilla dirty chai, that's his order, you can make your own judgment on that. <laughs> And people might think that the description of me being a side character in my job is a bit of an odd or maybe demeaning thing to say. Because right now, our culture is obsessed with this idea of main character energy. Have you guys heard of this term? It's a term that's being banded around at the moment to describe the kind of feeling that maybe we like chasing. Like we love sitting on a bus and like there's music playing in the background of our lives and people are watching in, waiting to see what's, what's going to happen next for us. But more than that, we're living in a world that right now, our highest cultural value, for this generation in particular, for the evening meeting, our highest cultural value is to be your true and authentic self. We're encouraged to go on the journey to find and create our own identity on our own terms. And this is something that today we're going to call the story of the world. You at the center, your definition of truth and reality, good and evil, you as the main character of the story. Now, as a church, we've been going through a book of the Bible called The Good News According to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew, in writing his eyewitness account of his time following Jesus, presents a different version of the story of the world. He says that the story of the world is one that isn't defined on our own terms, or even one that starts on the day that we're born and ends on the day that we die. But it's actually one big story written by God and it's one that starts and ends and revolves totally around one main character. And that person is Jesus. <laughs> now, because Matthew, our writer, grew up Jewish, he knew really well the history of God's people as it's told throughout the Old Testament. And so part of what Matthew is doing through his eyewitness account of the life of Jesus is to show us how the Bible has actually been pointing to Jesus this whole time. Every promise from God and every prophecy that someone was coming to get God's people out of the mess they were in, all of that right from the beginning has been pointing to Jesus. And we've seen this series, all these amazing miracles that Jesus has done. He's like encountering people and giving them glimpses of kingdom life under God's rule and reign. But he's also been talking about how someday soon he's going to die. And this is what we're reading today. We're reading about the death of Jesus the climax and the center of that whole story that God's been writing this whole time. He's the one that we've been waiting for, that the Bible points to, and his death and resurrection are at the center of his life and why he came. So if you have a Bible, 
Turn to Matthew 27 with me. We're going to start in verse 45, and we're going to read the account of the death of Jesus together and see what it shows about Jesus, the wonder of what he's done for us, and that you are not the main character of the story and why that's actually really good news for us today. So Matthew 27, we're going to start at verse 45, and it'll be behind my, my head as well. How nice. So the death of Jesus. Now, from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So imagine with me for a moment that you're going about your regular day in first century Jerusalem. It's coming up to midday. You're going through your first century to-do list. Like maybe you're at the market or you're at work or the temple. I don't know, whatever's normal. And suddenly you're in the middle of all of those things and it's like the sun is stolen out of the sky. It's complete darkness. It felt like you were walking around in the middle of the night rather than the middle of the day. You can't see what you're doing. I imagine it's probably somewhat chaotic and very confusing. But there's something about this supernatural darkness that makes us pay attention, makes them pay attention, makes us pay attention, right? Because darkness... In the eyes of the Jewish people like Matthew and those people who knew the scriptures was a symbol of God's rightful and just response to our sin. Darkness in the passage is a tangible symbol, something we can physically look at to see just how seriously God takes our sin. And this invites us to look at that bigger picture, that bigger story that Matthew puts Jesus' death at the center of. Because if we look back to the beginning of the story, we see that we were first created out of the overflow of God's love to enjoy him, to live as he's designed us to live, to walk with him in the cool of the day. But we traded that intimacy and relationship with God that we were made for in saying, I'd rather define good and evil for myself. Thanks. And in putting ourselves at the center, that's the heart of what sin is. We are separated from God's life-giving presence. And what follows, as we read back in Genesis 3, are all sorts of pain that we were never made to experience in the first place. It lists them for us, but we know them personally. Physical suffering and illness, hardship in our work life, fracture in our marriages and in our families. 
And the ultimate separation from God's presence, we know from the Bible, the wages of sin is death. That final enemy that we couldn't choke out or escape despite our best efforts. But even in the first pages of the Bible, we have hope. God's not left us hopeless. He takes our sins so seriously that he creates a promise, a rescue plan that someone was going to come and crush the head of the snake, conquer the start point of all of that sin. But that this rescuer's heel would be bruised in the process. Have a mysterious promise, a wounded victor, a suffering saviour. And we jump back into the passage, the moment at the centre of this big story, and we see that the rescuer is here. The wrath of God in the darkness all around. But rather than us receiving it, we look at Jesus on the cross. The promise that was made to us is being fulfilled in this moment because God sends himself to pay the price of the consequences of our sin. We substituted ourselves for God at the heart of our sin And God, in his love for us, substitutes us for himself, taking our place, coming to rescue us and paying the cost of our sin when we couldn't pay it. It's a rescue plan that Jesus in the passage wants us to see has been in the works all along. In verse 46, when he cries out the words of Psalm 22, some of you might recognize it. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, in the agony and pain that he's carrying on our behalf, is pointing us to how all of the promises promises and prophecies of the Old Testament are brought to fruition in him, our rescuer. If you go and read Psalm 22, it feels actually like you're reading a description of Jesus on the cross. It's so specific. And in quoting it, it's like we're watching the miracle of our rescue happen in real time in this passage. It was pointing to him all along. It's an example of how God's been writing this story with the person of Jesus at the center, the only one who could come and get us out of the mess that we were in. Does anyone remember the um, Chilean miners um, explosion thing that happened 10 years, 10 years ago, 11? I think it's like 2010. There was this cave-in, if you, if you don't know what happened, a cave-in happened where 33 miners got trapped. They were just in a mine on their regular day at work mining. They got trapped because of an explosion. And basically what happens is it sparked this huge rescue mission across the world to get these guys out. It was a massive effort. Like NASA got involved. The Chilean government got involved. And it was a big deal because these guys were trapped, this is insane, under 2,300 feet of rock. Like 700 meters of solid rock above their heads. If you look up from where you're sitting at the ceiling, this is my fun guesstimate from Gus, this space above your head is 20 feet. So imagine 115 times the height of this room above your head in solid rock form. And this rescue effort figured out that the way to get um, these guys out was basically create a shaft and a rescue worker would go down in the shaft and one by one would bring these men out to the top of the surface. And after 69 days, so many, 5.3 million people watched as that final guy came out. He was the one who like, led them all through it, apparently. And um, they brought him out and his words were, that was a long shift. <laughs> yup, <laughs> jokes. 2,300 feet. There was no way they were getting out of that mine by their own means. They needed to be rescued. And it's a picture for us, as you look up and look at the height of this room, it's a picture for us as we see how seriously God takes us in 
how much do we need a rescuer? There was no way that we would be getting out from our sin by our own efforts. The barrier that our sin puts between us and God is like 2,300 feet of solid rock above your head. <laughs> Only by the promised rescue, light of the world stepping down into darkness, are we getting out from the place that sin has trapped us in. With myself at the center, I get absolutely nowhere. No amount of my effort is going to do it. But with Jesus at the center of the story, I can know my rescue. And so if the first thing we see from the passage is that God takes our sin this seriously, then the second thing that we see is that God loves us this much. We read in verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And we know from elsewhere in the Bible, from John's gospel actually, that the words that Jesus cries here are three words that show us that Jesus has achieved what he came to do in the first place. He says, it is finished. The work is done. Our sin is paid for because Jesus yielded up his spirit. To yield, to give up willingly, shows us that what's happening here on the cross is choice. Jesus is choosing death so that we would have life. Jesus himself tells us in John, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. He has chosen in his authority and in his power to lay down his life for us. There is nothing more to be added now. In his authority and glory and power, Jesus makes a statement with his death that there is nothing more for us to do to know that we are permanently and irrevocably loved by him. Now, I've just come back from a holiday with my family, although I don't know if I should call it a holiday more than a pilgrimage because my, oh, I went to Disney and my family love Disney. I love Disney. I call it maybe a pilgrimage because this was a special trip. It was my 10th time at Disney Park. I can't believe I just confessed that to my church. Oh, my days. We went to Disneyland. It was a lovely time. I'll tell you about it later. Um, but as much as I evidently love Disney, what Disney are particularly good at is the art of storytelling. <laughs> it's very much often a repackaging of that story of the world that we were talking about earlier. So we have me at the center or a hero, a main character. They go off on this journey to find a sense of significance or an answer to the problem or a way to defeat the bad guy, the villain. And what happens is they go on this journey, but it turns out all they actually needed to do was to look inside themselves. The answer was there inside me all along. I just needed to believe in myself a little bit more. And then I get what I was wishing for or hoping for. And if you're not a fan of Disney, maybe it's elsewhere as well, like Captain America, like this skinny man boy longing for, <laughs> longing for, sorry Chris Evans, longing for significance goes on this journey and has the opportunity to become this super buff superhero and they pump chemicals in him and then he's, ooh, he's very muscly and it's all a bit dramatic. But it turns out it wasn't the muscles that made him the superhero. He was the superhero inside him all along. It was his character, it was his moral standing. Captain America, it's like it's a good story. I'm not bashing the story. But it's fiction, and when I try to live it out in reality, it doesn't really work. Like, when I've wanted to prove myself at uni, and so I really put my nose to the grindstone, and I work hard at my degree so everyone can know what I'm capable of, 
or when I look inside myself to try and figure out who it is that I authentically am, who my best self is, so that I'll come across more confident and then people will want to be my friend and they won't reject me. With me at the center of the story, the weight of my identity falls on me. And that's exhausting. When I'm at the center, it means that in order to figure out if I'm loved, if I matter, what my purpose is, who I am, I'm invited to stretch and strain, do more, be more. But here at the cross, Jesus says it is finished. And he has authority to lay down his life and pick it up again. So when he shows us that he loves us by choosing death on the cross for us, why don't we try and believe him? We just sang it earlier, didn't we? This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It was never about us. It's not about my impressiveness, but his power. It's not about my loveliness, but his love. Not about my accolades and my achievements, my skill, but the finishing work of the cross. The point of the cross is that we would see him for who he truly is. Our glorious Jesus, who chooses us out of his matchless love whilst we were still his enemy. The one who holds the keys to death in his hand, who snuffed out our final enemy death because we were the joy set before him when he was on the cross. Hallelujah. We are freed from ourselves to enjoy Jesus and his victory. It has always been about him and about the cross making a way for us to be with him. And this is it. This is what we've been talking about this whole time. This series is being with Jesus because that's what the whole story has been about. The third thing that we see in the passage is that it's always been about being with Jesus. That's the story. It's how it started. It's how it will end. We were made to be with him. And this is why the curtain tears, verse 51, we have access to him forever. The barrier that sin put up in our relationship with God, the thing that stops us truly and freely enjoying his presence has been taken down in the death of Jesus. What separated us from God has been irreparably torn, top to bottom, God's work. The curtain that Matthew's referring to here, the one that separated us from the presence of God in the temple was massive. Here's some more sizes for you. It's 40 feet tall, so that's two times the height of this room, maths. And apparently it was a hand width thick. How that tears is not anything that we could do, but that's an act of God. It's a miracle God has done for us. The curtain tears from the top. We're not still like left picking at the seams at the bottom, trying to pull our way in through the fabric. It's been done for us. He tore down the veil so that we could be with Jesus. And it's this being with Jesus that is why we have a promise that as Christ goes through death and out the other side, that we too, united with him in death, will also be raised to new resurrection life in a physical way that we will actually be with him face to face one day. And Matthew writes about a slightly odd miracle that demonstrates this for us in the passage. Verses 52 and 3, if you look back down, we've got the death of Jesus, which, number one, causes the, turn, the curtain to tear. And number two, we've got a supernatural earthquake. And the earthquake splits the rocks and it opens the tombs. And then Matthew gives us a bit of a spoiler alert and says that when Jesus miraculously does come back to life in three days' time, 
Normally I hate spoilers, but this one I will allow. Um, As Jesus does come back to life, the bodies of the saints, and that means Christians, followers of Jesus, are also raised. And they go into Jerusalem, the holy city, and they talk to people. Now I'm going to level with you. It is weird. Is it more zombie-like than I was expecting this very key passage of scripture to be? Yeah, it kind of is. But don't get hung up on the weirdness. When we get to things in the Bible that don't make immediate sense to us, and there's lots of things we don't know and we're not sure about, we can look to what we do know to help us make sense of it. So what do we know? Well, I know that in Matthew's account, I read about Jesus' death, and then I read about this random but definite emergence of life. So because of the death of Jesus, dead people in the passage come back to life. And that's extraordinary, but it's not like brand new information if you're a follower of God. This is our story, dead people back to life. That's what Jesus paid for for us. This is the gospel. Matthew links the seeming defeat of death on the cross with the victory that we see in this form of new life. In dying, and then, then yes, yeah, spoiler alert, in three days' time, miraculously coming back to life, Jesus kicks a hole through the wall of death and invites us to follow him through it into resurrection life. Death is a defeated force. It had no hold on Jesus, nor on the people that were supernaturally brought back on this day in this passage. And it has no hold on us either, those of us who choose the way of Jesus over the way of self. This weird moment, as weird it is, as it is, is a bit like a spoiler alert for our own future. Through it, we see a glimmer of the personal hope and future that we can have of being with Jesus in eternity. The promise of bodily resurrection, where one day the pain of this world will pass away and we will be with Jesus. That's what it's always been about. He tore down the veil and walked out of the grave and now we can be with him. This is the story of the world that Matthew has told us through the death of Jesus. God takes our sin seriously. He loves us seriously. And it's all been about Jesus and his glory and the wonder of being with him. And we see two ways to respond as we get to the end of the passage. We've got two groups of people that Matthew zooms in on. The first group we read in verse uh, 54 is the centurion and those who are with him. A group of people that probably were crying out with the crowd, let Jesus be crucified. They've watched him die. They've stood mocking him. They see all of this supernatural darkness, signs and wonders, things we can't really explain. And they see a man claiming to be God, dying a cursed death on the cross. And their conclusion is that Jesus truly is the rescuer that we've been waiting for. (laughs) They say, truly, this was the son of God. There's an invitation for us to do the same as we look at this passage. Matthew is asking us, what do we make of it? Who do you believe Jesus to be? And maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today. Maybe you're just looking in. But here we are. You've just read like the central event, the account of what happens at the middle of the life and death and life of Jesus. So what do you make of it? What story are you going to believe and live by? And it's a question worth asking yourself because if it's true... (laughs) If Jesus truly is the son of God, then it changes everything. And finally, we read about one other group. Verses 55 and 56, Matthew zooms us in on a group of women 
who give us a humble and tender example of people who made this confession too and were willing to live like it. It says that they've followed Jesus since Galilee. And um, just for reference, when Jesus was last in Galilee, it was 10 chapters ago, and it was when Jesus was telling his followers explicitly, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. These women heard the words from Jesus and knew what was going to come, and they remained walking with him. That's a lot of faith. But these women got it. They got it. When other disciples fled and denied ever knowing Jesus, when these women faced social exclusion and cultural cursing, even being near the crucifixion site was a big no-no, they stayed and they ministered to Jesus. They give us a beautiful example of faithfulness. And they took seriously the mandate Jesus gives to those of us who say that we follow him. Matthew 16, 24 says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These women died to themselves. They counted the cost because they believed that the way of Jesus was the way to true and ultimate life, true and ultimate freedom. They found life by laying theirs down. Jesus kicked a hole through the wall of death and invites us to follow him through it into new resurrection life. That's the invitation offered to all of us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The story of the world doesn't believe that laying yourself down could ever be good news. It's not good news to hear that you're not the main character, that it's not actually about you. But those with ears to hear the way of Jesus see that true life is found when we lay it down. When we put to death the way of the self and choose instead the way of Jesus, we see the irreversible effects of what he's done for us. Death gives way to life. Grief gives way to joy. Futility gives way to purpose. Disappointment gives way to satisfaction. Rejection gives way to belonging. Brokenness gives way to wholeness. Loneliness gives way to family. I could carry on. Because death in all of its forms now whimpers in defeat because Jesus has crushed the head of the enemy. United with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. That's our story now. Maddie, do you want to come up? So we've seen that the death of Jesus in Matthew's gospel shows us that the cross is how seriously God takes our sin and how deeply God loves us. And that now through Christ's death, we get to be with Jesus. The veil is torn. We have access to him forever. And he's promised us resurrection thank you, into new life. We get to enjoy his presence and his victory forever. He is eternally glorious and he's the one that we are united with. We have Jesus at the center and that is really good news for us.